Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Press. Really glad that you are here. There, um, there must be a sporting event happening later today because my phone is blowing up. So, nice Seahawks sweatshirt, by the way. Love that. Um, totally unplanted, but so glad to see it. <clears throat> um, well, here we are, friends. We are at the, uh, the very beginning of another series. And before we launch ourselves into that uh, series, I just um, want to uh, say a thank you. For those of you who've been uh, worshiping with us throughout this uh, fall and early winter, you, you might know that we stepped into December with what we anticipated would be a pretty major financial shortfall as we went into the second um, half of our fiscal year. And if you look at the inside lower left-hand corner of your bulletin, uh, we've been putting this out for the last seven or eight weeks. So even in the midst of some of this, uh, this worry and concern for our elders and leaders, we've really had an extraordinary uh, December and January. And I just wanted to bring that to your attention and say, uh, first of all, praise to the Lord that in his own prompting in his spirit, he's, he's led us to then give generously in the way he first gave to us. And well done. Well done. And keep going. <laughs> and the great thing about the way we are stepping into this January and now February is it gives us a little bit of room, a different kind of space to, to think about what God might be calling us into as we do step into this spring and this summer and beyond. It really is an extraordinary thing that the way we sort of watched the Lord give to this people, through this people, um, over this last several weeks, and wanted you to know how deeply grateful we are to you and to the Lord who made all of that possible. And in light of all that, it actually seems to us, in sort of um, a bit of a veer from what I thought we'd be doing right now, it seemed really wise for us to, to take a, a couple of weeks, five to be exact, to talk a little bit about generosity. Because at the end of it, there's no big financial ask. There's no crisis. There's nothing for us to sort of feel like, oh, now this is kind of, I'm getting browbeaten into this. No, friends. This is the perfect time for us to have a conversation about what actually is at the core of generosity. It's not a perfect time for us to think about what does it mean for us to live with Jesus Christ, who is the wellspring, the unending origination of our life and hope and resources. Certainly, whenever we talk about generosity, we oftentimes, the first place we go in our conversation and in our mind, even as I did today, is our finances. It's financial. But friends, the Bible actually talks about generosity in a much more full and inclusive way. Certainly, it does include money, but it also includes the way we seek to invest in our time and the people who are around us. Generosity in scriptures is, is also a way for us to think about the way our relationships go. You know, it's possible, actually, to, to give financially, generously to a cause or even to a church and to miss what it means to actually be generous all the way to the core because of the work and person of Jesus Christ in your life. So over the next several weeks, probably every week in some way, I probably will talk about finances 
and our um, financial stewardship, but not only that. As we've worked our way into thinking about how this service is going to go, one thing I've been struck by is um, how the Lord himself is the, the wellspring of our life and hope and even our generosity. To the extent that we're able to be generous at all, it's actually because of the initiating work of God himself. Going back to the very beginning of the story, which we'll talk about, one of the things that we've discovered and want to keep on putting out in front of us is that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We've been B.T. Bab. Did you know that there was an adult group here, like a fellowship group, uh, that met for decades that called themselves B.T. Bab? And uh, it comes from this passage we're going to look at today. That's right at the very beginning pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. So why don't we spend a few minutes praying and then we'll get uh, to Genesis chapter 12. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for rounding us all up and bringing us here together in this space right now. And we thank you for the kind of morning we've had. We pause to remember already your blessings to us. Lord, in response, already we have lifted hearts and minds and imaginations up in prayer and up in praise and our singing and the giving of our finances. Now, Lord, we pray also that we will find some way to, to give back to you generously because of what it is we discover in your words today. This word is going to land anywhere, Lord, you know it's a work of your spirit and not a work of my creativity. So would you do it? Will the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight? If you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer, and all God's people said, Amen. Okay, if we're going to talk about Abram and we're going to talk about Genesis 12, the first thing I want to do is talk about the first 11 chapters of the Bible. You're like, I've done this before, Anson. You haven't. This is going to be the fastest version yet. When we open the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we really discover two things. We discover two things in these opening chapters. The the first thing that we discover is that God loves freedom. He's orchestrated and made an entire creation, planet, people to exhibit and step into that freedom. God loves to bestowing upon us freedom. The Bible is also really clear in these opening 11 chapters that humans aren't very good at handling the kind of freedom that God loves. In the opening 11 chapters of the Bible, we consistently see that that human beings find themselves running away from God, denying God, ignoring God. We see that in the the middle of that, what that ends up meaning is they end up sort of abusing and using people. They're prone to violence and even murder. That we find in these first 11 chapters that the, the Bible wants to say, as we exhibit our own disobedience that we want to call freedom, Our lives have stepped all the way down into the gutter of violence and abuse, of a broken sexuality 
and more. Those are the two things that we discover in these opening 11 chapters. That God loves freedom. And we are not very good at handling the freedom that God loves. In fact, about halfway through those first 11 chapters in Genesis 6, it says that evil in our hearts is continuous. So it keeps on sort of rolling out of us. It turns out that disobedience is one of humanity's main occupations. It's what we do. We call it freedom, but it's disobedience. So the question is, what will God do? What is God's solution to this problem? Will He start over? Plant another garden somewhere else with another two people? Will He sort of just leave us into the, into the pain and hurt and angst that we have? Will He's going to close it all down and restart creation? What is God going to do? What's going to happen between page 9 and page 1,284? What's the rest of the Bible about? Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12 and find out. So, turn to Genesis chapter 12. And I know I said on the bulletin there, it says verses 1 through 8. We're really just going to read verses 1 through 3. Here it is. So the Lord said to Abram, we just had read this genealogy of all these generations. Go from your country, the Lord says. Leave your people and your father's household. Everything is comfortable to you. Go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the plan. That's the plan. Not some big, overarching, sweeping, new thing. It's just one man of an obscure clan. We don't even know the name of it. In really an uninteresting provincial land. One man of a no-account clan in a no-account land. That's God's plan. That's what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to bless you. And as it turns out, as we read Abram's story, the, the blessing is both financial and material and provisional, and it's also spiritual. It's a promise. It looks way out in the distance. It's God's in the middle of doing something much bigger than just giving him finances. Some of our Christian brothers and sisters are pretty sure that blessing is always promised financially. But it is not. God says, actually, it's much more than your independent wealth. I'm gonna, I want to bless you that you might be a blessing to all the nations. These first 11 chapters of abused freedom, I'm going to correct through you, Abram. That's God's answer. One. One person. One promise. A blessing for a single person. 
in light of this overarching systemic chaos, I choose you to be a blessing to all the nations. Does that seem right to you? Is that enough? Well, what's interesting about it, in the Bible, about 4,000 years later, directly in that line is Jesus Christ, who came and in himself gave sacrificially. He, was, he had the blessing of being God, and he turned it outward to bless us with salvation and the hope of life eternal. Abram, I'm, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. And then about a thousand years, Uh, pardon me, 100 generations later or something like that, 125, 200, comes the Lord, Jesus Christ. Was it worth it? Well, what's interesting, friends, is, is from that moment, then Paul says this line of promise is not just a biological line, it's, it's actually a spiritual line. So it turns out I'm part of the promise. And so are you, the man who led me to Christ, the one who led him to Christ, and the one who led her to Christ. I don't know him or her. All the way down to Jesus and all the way down through Abraham. I'm now a recipient of that promise. I am now part of the blessing. Abram was blessed that I might be blessed as part of the nations. Abram was blessed that you might be blessed in knowing Jesus Christ. It just seems to be what God does. Was it worth it? To start with just that one man? I've said to you many times over the years that you can tell what's important in the Bible through repetition. Especially if you're reading a a particular passage or a particular phrase. You can know what's important because an idea gets repeated. So this is not um, a huge, long Bible study, but I'll just give you a short little sort of word list. Sometimes people are pretty sure that sin is really important to Christians. It's like one of our primary critiques that culture offers us. Sin's a real thing. I'm not going to deny it. Do you know how many times the Bible uses the word sin? About 400 times. That's not insignificant. Turns out God is worried about the way we abuse his freedom. But you know how many times he uses the word prayer? Right around 430, depending on your translation. So it it turns out as important as sin is, it's, it's also really important that we find a way to commune with and communicate and be intimate with the Lord himself. Do you know how many times the scriptures use some cognate of the word bless? just under 500 times. It turns out that God is more interested and invested in blessing than he is in convicting. This is what God does. This is the pattern. I'm going I'm to choose you, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you relationally and spiritually and materially. You're going to have resources. You're going to have some kind of currency, both social and relational, political, financial. I'm going to bless you with that capital that you might be a blessing for others. It's not just that he wants to just bless you. He doesn't want to gorge you till you pop with blessing. wants to bless you that you would bless others. 
See, like Abram, we've been blessed, and that blessing is now supposed to confront the chaos. It's right around us. You're being invited because you've been blessed by and in and through Jesus Christ to intentionally and purposefully confront the chaos that's right around you with God's blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. God's the wellspring. He's the unending, original source. But you're the flow. And he invites you to, to bless others because you have been blessed. So how do you do that? What do we do? How do we take some, some uh, new and different kinds of steps into the, a, kind of a life of blessing and, and generosity? Now that you um, are reminded today that you've been blessed to be a blessing, what next? Well, I want to offer a, a, point, a couple points of application for you, and then we'll come to the table to experience the blessing of God's provision. First, first point, this is what you do when you're trying to find a way to bless, to live in a different kind of a generosity. First thing, be scandalous. Be scandalous. Theologians, when they read the Bible, and maybe you've become so comfortable with this idea, you've, you've forgotten how shocking it is. They, they talk about the scandal of particularity. They say it seems so weird and inefficient and maybe unfair in some ways that God seems to, to work his will through individuals. Abram, Joseph, King David, Jesus, Paul, Eric, you. He doesn't just do these sweeping things, but seems to, to work in and through individuals. So friends, when it comes to our generosity, let me encourage you to, to be scandalously particular. Be focused. Be immediate. C.S. Lewis, in 1942, wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, right in the middle of World War II. And The Screwtape Letters are a, a novel of uh, sort of a collected imaginary set of letters from one demon to another demon. And the letters essentially are this demon's advice on how this demon can take his human subject and make sure he goes to hell. What are the ways this demon is instructing him where you can sort of guide him and steer his thinking and his manner of life until finally the only option for him is perdition? Extraordinary book, really. A quick and easy read. And in there he talks a little bit about what he uses as the word benevolence or, or charity, what we've been using as the word of blessing or of generosity. And this is what this demon says as they think about this human being. Here's what he says. He writes, Do what you will, on another matter, there is going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul. We're the patient. There's some goodness, some benevolence, some malice. The great thing, the most important thing, is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors, whom he meets every day. 
and to thrust his benevolence out to the most remote circumference to people he does not know. The malice thus becomes wholly real, and the benevolence sort of largely becomes imaginary and distant. There is no good at all in inflaming his hatred of Germans. That's how the letter started. Hey, my patient hates Germans because of the war. Isn't that great news? And so the demon says, like, no, it turns out it's not. It won't be all that great to inflame his hatred of a people if at the same time a pernicious habit of charity is growing up between him and his mother and his employer and the man that he meets on the train. Choose the scandal of the particular, the thing that you can see, the thing that you can be a part of. Find some way to actually express God's generosity to you and the things that are right around you. Do you, you have a bit of time and some expertise? Why don't you see what happens if you decide to step into an elementary school, a school even that we sponsor and tutor? Find out what happens if you give away of your time and your expertise to, to mentor and disciple a high school student or a university student. Notice the people who are right around you and be scandalously attentive to those who are lonely and crave a little bit of time. Maybe just a cup of coffee. C.S. Lewis is getting at something that we see in the Scriptures themselves. That real generosity, real blessing is local. It's personal. You are involved. That's the scandal of particularity lived out in Scripture and also in us. Pick something nearby. Find a way to bless it. Certainly, continue to give to the international agency, relief agency, child support thing that you do. Just make sure it's good and trustworthy. And those things are good but not at the expense of actually exercising generosity in your life. Learning how to live the blessing of God with the people who are right around you. So first, be scandalous. Be particular. Second, imitate. Imitate. You're not sure what you're supposed to do? How are you supposed to be generous? What is it supposed to look like? What is this blessing? What, is it? what are its contours? Well, just imitate. Follow this advice from Ephesians chapter 5. Paul's writing to a people in a church called, in a town called Ephesus. And this is what he says. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you want to know how to bless and be generous for the people who are scandalously close to you? Follow after the pattern of God in Jesus Christ. Imitate. The Lord will be pleased by it, and you'll, you'll learn more and more how to be generous in a way that emulates his character. Probably, it looks like a lot of you probably have children somewhere in your background. Right? Don't you think this is great when your children copy you? <laughs> <laughs> 
So we just picture this moment. You've, you're making pancakes on a Saturday morning for breakfast, and your, your toddler sort of pulls a chair over and stands up on it and realizes they don't have any of the stuff they thought they'd have. And so they get down off the chair, and they, they get the pancake mix, and they get the bowl, and, and they put in just way too, not enough pancake mix. They bring it over to the sink, and they pour in way too much water. And they start stirring and sloshing, and there's a mess everywhere, and they're so proud of the way they're imitating the way you make pancakes. And you're like, this is nothing the way I make pancakes, but I love it. I love how this child is sort of taking what it's seen from me and starting to try to exercise it. And the way it is with us and our own children and how pleased we are when they start trying to imitate these things that are good and holy. So it is with the Lord, friends. When the Lord sees us trying and seeking to to imitate, we're going to get it wrong as we seek to be generous. We're going to spend money on the wrong thing. We're going to unintentionally say the wrong thing to that person. We're going to misinvest in some person or circumstance. You know what the Lord sees in the middle of all that? sloshy pancakes. I just love the mess. They're going to get it. Imitate the Lord. As you seek to be scandalously particular, really focused, seek to bless others to be a blessing, imitate what we see in Jesus Christ. So be scandalous. Imitate. And then finally, Start small. Shoot for about 25,000. You're like, 25,000 what? Exactly, because I know that number doesn't seem very small. Let me give you a little picture of what I, what I mean here. This, um, for those of you who are sort of NASA geeks, you might recognize what this is. Um, this is the um, vessel ship something Dawn, D-A-W-N. And it launched in 2007, and its mission was to go further than any other human-created thing had, had ever gone from the planet, and to be able to communicate back to us. And that presented some really extraordinary challenges. One of them was, how are we, how are we going to get it to get there in enough time for any of us to be alive to start getting some of the data? So this is what they did. They, they created this tiny little sort of unique engine that had never been created before and filled it with a fuel. We had never used it before. On this, it's, uh, it's sort of like blue sparky things. And this is what they did. Once it had been launched, day one, it accelerated 15 miles an hour. Day two, it accelerated another 15 miles per hour. Day three, it accelerated another 15 miles per hour until day in, day out, it reached a maximum speed of just under 25,000 miles an hour. See, friends, when when we start with something that's small, tight, intentional, repeated, and focused, we can do something magnificent. Magnificent. Start small. I mean, small for different people is different things, right? But be particular. Imitate Christ. Start small. Go from zero to 15. That sounds good. Don't worry about 25,000 miles an hour yet. 
besides the fact that it probably would melt your face off, you're still at zero. Work your way, friends. Now, in case you're thinking that this is a really interesting NASA illustration, but not a very biblical one, let me sort of show you this thing that happened a couple generations after Abram passed away. Um, This is from Deuteronomy chapter 7. And God is speaking to now the nation of Israel, right? Abram, I'm I'm going to bless you. You're going to have have an entire nation, and your nation, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations through that group of people. This is what he says. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God. And here's what he's going to do with his blessing. He's going to keep his covenant of love, his lavish outpouring upon his people to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. A thousand generations. I'm going to take this one single blessing And I'm going to allow it to increase and to increase and to increase for a a thousand generations. Friends, all we have to worry about is ourselves. We're blessed to be a blessing and God will increase it. Here's what I think practically that might mean for us. That might mean that that time when we decide on on a couple days a week, I don't know if you know that we have an English school that we do here for, um, for folks on campus who don't speak English. It's an, it's an expression of our ministry and love for Jesus Christ. Well, from time to time, one of those students comes to know and follow Jesus Christ. We sought to bless them that they might be a blessing to others. But here's the interesting thing about that. What do you think happens with their children and their children's children and their neighbor's children? What do you think happens when we help a, a child who um, is, is being tutored by the ministry that we're a part of at Columbine who now gets grade ready? What happens? Well, the blessing and God's promise of covenant love goes on for a thousand generations. This expression of generosity that you get to invest in and be part of lasts for, well, let's do the math real quick. A generation, generally speaking, is about 25 years. It's actually a little less. I don't understand how this works. It's it's less for women. It's a little more for men. But the average is about 25 years is the length of a generation. So if a generation lasts for 25 years and there's a thousand generations, friends, the blessings that we pour out now where we are intentionally generous have outcomes that we can stretch out for 25,000 years. When you tutor a child... When you give to this church's ministries for the sake of learning English and sharing the gospel with a high school student, when we gather around those who are sick and dying and lay hands on them and pray that the Lord will receive them, what we are doing is not just immediate but stretches out beyond our ability to even understand time. 25,000 years. But friends, You don't do a strategic plan for 25,000 years. You can't do it. But what you can do is plan to do something tomorrow. You can be scandalously particular. You can seek to imitate Christ. And you can decide to start small. Do you know what it is for you? 
We all have friends, organizations, commitments, relationships, a church community. What's the whisper of the Spirit saying to you right now? How can you live in a fresh way, an understanding that you are blessed, not for yourself, but to be a blessing? Be scandalous. Imitate Christ. Start small. This table is actually kind of a version of this. Have you ever thought about how scandalous this is? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I've come to die, actually, that you might have life. Me. I'm going to do it for you. It seems so small. One man of a no-account clan in a God-forsaken land. And he hangs on a cross. And he says that what I will do there will be enough to bless all the world. We come to this table, we celebrate. We celebrate that tragic moment. We also say, God is still in Christ, our host at this table, eager to nourish us, eager to prompt us into this work that he's blessed us for. He hasn't said, just go bless the world and I'm leaving you on your own. He's like, no, I've blessed you and I've nourished you and I will dwell with you. When we come to this table, we're, we're reliving. Actually, Paul says we're re-preaching the fact that we are blessed to be a blessing for others until Christ comes to put it all together again. Probably we don't always hear it in those terms. Maybe this has become too familiar to you. But he does take this bread and he blesses it. And then what does he do? He distributes it. He says, you go do this and remember this elsewhere. So hear it afresh. The Lord was with his disciples. Uh, people like me and you, following Jesus, but not always getting it right. That's not the criteria. And he, in the middle of that table, he, knowing all of what's good and not good, what's both benevolent and what is um, evil about them, he takes some bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he passes it out and he says, this is my body which is given for you. It's been blessed and I'm blessing you with it. Go, eat it, remember me. And then after the supper, he takes the cup and he pours it out and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the, the new promise, the new blessing, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, drink it, and remember me. And this remembering is not sort of just like an, a, an emotional cognitive thing. The word remembering is it's lifestyle. Because we've been at this table, it will alter our decisions. It will change our pattern and habits of life. 
will be nourished for a different kind of a courage, not because of ourselves, but because of the one who is in us. And Paul says a little bit later, whenever it is that we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim, we re-preach, we represent his saving death until he comes again to put it all to rights. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this simple and elemental gift. We pray, Lord, that it would be to us what it is that you have promised, that is nourishment for our heart, that is a way for us to express our deep trust in you and our, our desire to be at one with you. We pray, Lord, that as we take it, we would express our thanksgiving, that it would be our Eucharist, that we would know what you have already done and what you are eager to do still. Lord, you bless us that we might be a blessing. And all God's people said, Amen.